The Mac Observer's Mac Geekout number 368 for Thursday, December 8th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geekout Premium, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, and you all support John and I in doing what we can do here to help you get answers and provide our own tips and share all of this knowledge that we all have. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Sure, are you sure about the Connecticut part, John? Uh, at the moment, yes. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, let's dive in. Let's go to Larry, shall we? Surely. Okay. And stop calling me Shirley. Uh, Larry writes, I am in the final stages of my drive drive preparation in prep uh, to take the, uh, uh, he's going to take the lion plunge and he's setting himself up. I'm being a very good little updater and I'm taking every precaution to make sure that my applications are updated and that my computer is backed up. I'm traditionally just a time machine is good enough back up -er. But listening to your show and hearing your continual admonitions to back up, back up, back up to have a reliable boot up backup disk has made me shift my thinking. I do have numerous drives dispersed through my computer setup, but Best Buy had a great Black Friday deal I could not pass up. And I took advantage of getting an external 750 gigabyte drive. Plus, all of my drives are just archive drives rather than formatted and bootable. I split this drive up so I could put a bootable backup of each of my three Macs on it and created an emergency Lion install partition as well. Smart move. That's actually a great idea. Uh, back to the backup. I used SuperDuper to clone my drive, and this, as this seemed to be the most well-recognized and accepted bootable backup creator. I started yesterday and this morning it finished. I checked the sizes of both my main hard drive and its bootable backup. The bootable backup clone is 207.33 gigabytes and my main hard drive is 215.99 gigabytes. I began the tedious process of trying to find out where the missing 7.66 gigabytes went, but then I figured it would probably just be quicker to send off an email and see what you two think. I've heard about invisible files, so I imagine this is probably what's going on. Okay, so it could be some invisible files, but SuperDuper is... Smart enough to know what needs to be copied or, and well, it's smart enough to know what doesn't need to be copied. Anything it, do, it doesn't know about, it will copy. But there are things like virtual memory swap files, hibernation files, cache files, some temporary files that simply are created or can be created with every reboot and don't need to be cloned. These are things that are often updated regularly and would be included in every clone, not just the first one, but even subsequent clones. And uh, and so by excluding them, you don't lose anything, uh, but you do gain time uh, in in the in the backup process. So I would not worry about about this level of discrepancy here because of that. I think you're going to be just fine. The real test is to boot from the uh, from the clone and make sure that it is actually bootable. And that that's a That's a good lesson for all of us. Right. To make sure that we're booting from these things that we believe to be bootable, because we don't want to find out there's a problem on the day when it is supposed to be our only bootable drive after our main drive has failed. Danny, any uh, uh, your thoughts, John? My thoughts are, if anything, you know, I think it probably is the uh, 
swap files or virtual memory yeah. that kind of grow and shrink as you're using the machine. So I think that's within the realm of this, you know, what I think is, is a relatively small discrepancy, or it could be that, that some things may have been recreated, you know, especially some of these, uh, uh you know, like the, the kernel extension uh, cache and, oh, and things yeah. like that. Well, especially if you're on a, di- a lot of times when, when the OS is like, oh, I'm on a different drive. I better take some action here. So, yeah. so I think it may have rebuilt some of these caches. And, and yeah, that's why you're seeing the discrepancy. But yeah, my, my bet is probably, if anything, would be the, uh, the swap files that, again, get created and grow and shrink as, as you use the machine or maybe the sleep file. You know, uh, this brings up, something completely tangential here but uh when you meant, now when you mentioned the boot uh you know the startup um caches and all that i had the imac at the house uh the other day i went and rebooted it and i did a pram reset on it and i don't think my pram reset was the reason for this i think it was probably just coincidental but i'll state it because it was a condition of this so i did a pram reset and then the machine wouldn't start up and it would just sit at the kind of the gray screen with the Apple logo for a really, and I left it for a really long time and nothing happened. So I, I shut it down. I did a force shutdown and then I started it back up and the same thing. So then I did that again, but I, I held down command and V to get into verbose mode. So at least I would see what it was hanging up on. Right. And it would get to a point very early on where it would say that it could not read the file called slash, and I'm pulling this from memory, so I think I've got it right, slash var slash db slash boot cache dot playlist. And I thought, hmm. man, that's really weird. Let me let me look on this machine here and see if it's there. Uh, yeah, boot cache dot playlist. And there is a boot cache dot data and a boot cache dot playlist out there. And so I thought, well, I could go to another computer and um, and and see what's in that boot cache dot playlist. But uh, I was too lazy to do that. And so what I did was I and it's a binary file anyway, as it turns out. So it wouldn't have mattered. But um, but what I did was I, I booted into single user mode, which it, which it let me do. And then I mounted the drive as writable, which there are instructions right below the instructions to check the drive. Mounted it as writable. And I, I issued a Unix command called touch. I said touch space slash var slash db slash boot dot playlist. And all touch does is it creates a file or if the file exists, it updates its modification time. So it's it, it, it just touches it, but it doesn't do anything else. But if it's not there, it'll create it. And I figure I'll create a blank version of this. And maybe that's enough. You know, it's maybe this file got blown away somehow. And I had done an FSCK and all that other stuff, too, just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And uh, I did that. And then I started getting a different error. It still wouldn't boot. It said I couldn't read header information from bootcache.playlist, which was no great mm. surprise because it's empty. Right. I thought, oh, crap. You know, so then I booted from the recovery partition by doing command R. And on that machine, holding down R was not enough. I had to hold down command and R which seems to be somewhat inconsistent at the moment between various different Macs for me. But, um, but I did that. I got into the, uh, the, you know, I, I went into disk utility uh, in the recovery partition and I told it to repair permissions and I told it to uh, repair the disk. And then I rebooted. I thought, well, this is my one last ditch effort before I have it just reinstall OS 10 on top of itself. And that did it magically. I have no idea why, but uh, but repairing permissions or repairing the disk, which I think I'd already done. So it seems like a, a permissions repair solved that. But uh, it was interesting. I'd never even heard that file referenced before. So. So I share that as my 
was my experience. Repair permissions if your machine gets stuck at the uh, at the gray screen of of not quite death. <laughs> Is that the new name for it now? Uh, all right. So are we are we finished with uh, with Larry here now that I've totally derailed us? Are we ready to go on to so. John? All right, good. Here we go. Hi, this is John Davis calling, and my question today is related to uh, iCal, uh, and it's when you enter an event and then you go into the edit mode on that event and you uncheck the all day button, you get some options for alerts down there, and one of them is to send an email alert, and I was curious if those default times in there can be changed. Mine are showing up as 15 hours before, 15 days before, play a sound 15 hours before, and it would be much more convenient to do it uh, like one day and having not going in there to to change that option each time. So I'm a premium subscriber, and thanks for listening. Here's where you cut me off. All right, John. So John, since his name was John and, and your name's John, as far as we know, uh, why don't you take that one? <laughs> I'll take it. So I did this with Lion because I think we're we're talking Lion here, right? Or fair well, enough. Let's not assume we are, but but I did find a setting for this. So I initially went pouring through the iCal plist files to try to find this value, looking for something that had fifteen in it, and I really couldn't find it. Okay. But then I stumbled across this option, which seems to be available in both the Snow Leopard and the Lion version of uh, iCal, and this is in the general preferences, and there is a choice with a checkbox. Add a default alarm to all new events and invitations. Oh. And guess what? The default is 15 minutes before the start time. Now, the good news is that it did change. And I think I actually had to quit and restart in order to get things now to come up with a default of 30. It didn't change those email options that he mentioned. Those were still stuck at 15. So I don't know if maybe I had to to reboot or something in order to get it to, to really take hold. Huh. But right now, as I mentioned, so I'm clicking, you know, on, on, on things right now and things that don't have an alert uh, will now go to that value. So general preferences, add a default alert to all new timed events and invitations and put in whatever you want. And that will be the default, at least for, for many of the uh, alarms or alerts that you can set. Huh? I think that's the, the best you're going to get with, yeah. with iCal itself. Yeah, I'm looking at, at while you were looking there, I was looking in BusyCal and and it's it's similar. I can uh in the preferences under alarms, I get to I can set add a new default alarm to new events and also to new all day events and to-dos and I can and it's a separate thing. But um yeah, yeah, well, it is what it is, right? Um all right, good find, John. That's good. Thank you. On to Barry. Yeah. Barry? 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 All right. Barry. Okay. Barry writes, on my iPad and my iPhone under calendars in the other category is a calendar called birthdays with a little package as an icon. This calendar does not exist on my Mac or in iCloud. I want to get rid of it, but I cannot figure out how. Please help me get rid of this annoyance. All right. So this is the, uh, the yeah, the super secret birthday calendar mystery is what this is. Um. So you said that you didn't have it. And we'll back up a little bit here. You said you didn't have it on your Mac. You could. Uh, again, if you were in iCal and you go to the preferences and go to the general screen, which is the first screen that usually comes up, there is a uh, checkbox for show birthdays calendar. 
And this is pulling data from your address book to populate this. So it is kind of a handy thing if you want it. Uh, but on iOS, there's no real option in that sense. Uh, but remember, it, the system is keeping track of this either way. You're just choosing whether or not to show it, right? And that's where iCal's preferences are. And you can you can approximate this on iOS. So what you would do is you go into the calendar app, either on your iPad or iPhone, and then click on calendars in the upper left-hand corner. Scroll to the very bottom of the list, as you found, and there it is. In, uh, in other is this birthdays calendar, and you can just tap it. And it will not display if you, you know, you uncheck it and it won't display. It'll still be in the list, but you can't add events to it. It's not that type of calendar, uh, but you can just uncheck it in the calendars list and then it will stop displaying people's birthdays in your calendar. So, again, the system on your Mac and on iOS is going to keep track of this stuff, whether you choose to display it or not. And so all you're doing here is just turning it off. But uh, but no, you can't pull it out of the list. But hopefully turning it off solves your your problem and hopefully you're not perusing your calendar list constantly so that it's uh, so it's not driving you crazy. Any did you you didn't happen to find any anything secret there, John? I know sometimes you, uh, you, you know, when there's these esoteric now where things. where where is it getting this from address book? It is. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to find a birthday entry. I don't see one. off. Yeah, I've got I've got my address book populated with quite a few birthdays. And, um, and that's, and, and it just auto fills that calendar. It's pretty awesome actually. Really? Yeah. So do you, cause I, I, I'm looking now and I don't see a birthdays feel in the address book. At least. Ah, well, yeah. So here is a great little tip. Okay. So if you go to someone and I'm going to pull up my, my friend, my dear friend, Mr. John Braun here. Oh, I already have your birthday in there. Uh, mm -hmm. but let me, let me pull up, let me see if I can pull up someone else. So I was talking to a guy named Bill at Comcast today about well it doesn't matter uh but i put him in my uh in my address book but yeah when i look in there even if i hit the edit screen i do not see birthday and this is because that field is not in my address book by default now i'm talking about on my mac so if you go up to the card menu and you go to add field you can choose birthday and then it'll add a birthday field and then I can fill that in and it's a date field. So it makes sure I don't enter, you know, the wrong text or anything, but that's how that works. Now, if you want birthdays to be in your list by default, what you do is you go to address book preferences template, and you can follow along at home, John. And, and of course, anyone else that's listening. Uh, and then you can choose to add field. And uh, or remove fields by twisting the little minus sign or clicking the little minus sign. And you can totally customize the way address book comes up. But if you want birthday to be there anytime you're editing, uh, you just choose add field and choose birthday. And now it will be there anytime you hit the edit button. Look at that. Pretty good stuff. And actually, huh? I, I was playing along at home. And and actually, I, I found as you were talking, I found the way that you could discover this. By using the handy built-in help facility, because if you go to help and you type in birthday, yeah, it will show you the menu item that you mentioned. And It'll highlight add field birthday. So, so I guess what you're saying, or, or what it is, is that it's not by default. It's not part of the address book uh, card, but not part of the template. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, I've actually done something which which I think is incredibly clever. Go. Well, I, I added something a little while ago, and I, I don't know if this has been incorporated in, in Lion or not, but um, a while ago, 
you know, to me, it was hard to keep track of. So, of course, I have, you know, almost everybody I know is in my address book. Um, but I also follow a lot of people on Twitter. And for a lot of people, it's my primary way of keeping in touch with them. The thing is, uh, not everyone uses a Twitter handle that makes sense. Of course, mine, John F. Braun and yours, Dave Hamilton. You know, it doesn't get pretty any more easy to remember. Than that. That's but right. some people, for whatever reason, pick something that is not their their full name. Uh, uh, so I created a field in my address book, and then I started populating it called Twitter. And I basically put the URL of their Twitter page. So it's you know twitter.com slash, and then their name. And I think I also paste in you know if it's available, I paste in their uh, their icon. And I think I was trying to find a program that would do that automatically. And I, I never could quite find something that would do that automatically. But yeah, so so for the people that I one. Yeah. And somebody tried to do that, but I, it, it never worked for me. I, I tried running them. But okay. um, but yeah, so I have a Twitter field that I created. And I guess you can create any field you really want in the mm-hmm. uh, address book. And this one, again, just ca- contains the URL that points uh, to their Twitter page. So HTTP, you know, Twitter dot com slash whatever their handle is. That's awesome. So I find that handy if in a pinch I'm like, oh, I forgot this guy's. Twitter ID. That's awesome. I like it. Yeah. So some nice uh, address book tips. Cool. And then uh, I'll, I'll round us out by going over to iOS. And if you're on someone's record in iOS and you hit edit and there is no birthday field there because it's not pre-populated uh, at the bottom, just above the delete contact button. So don't hit that. Uh, hit the plus sign for add field. And then you'll get the whole laundry list of things that aren't showing up, including toward the bottom birthday. And uh, and then you can add someone's birthday right on in there. And uh, and that's that's how it works. So, yeah. And then and then that will populate that on your calendar and and on your iOS and Mac and anywhere else you're syncing it to. Good stuff, huh? All right. I think so. Yep. Time to go to Brent. Brent writes. I had a strange issue today when trying to install updates to Notebook and Onyx on my 2011 iMac running 10.7.2. I never had this issue before today. I run my user account as a standard user, so when I drag any applications over to my apps folder, I have to re-authenticate. Today, when dragging over the new version of Notebook or Onyx, when I selected replace the current file and authenticated, I received a notification entitled copy. This can't be completed because some items needed to be skipped. Please go to get info and make sure locked is deselected and check sharing and permissions. I did so and everything was unlocked and from what I could tell looked okay, but it still wasn't working. The strange thing was if I completely uninstalled, i.e. deleted the application and then dragged the new version in, authenticated, that worked fine. So I then repaired permissions. Still didn't work. Next, I reset ACLs on the user account using the secret uh, tip in Lion. You boot from the recovery partition, go to the terminal, type reset password, and then choose repair uh, permissions, repair user permissions in there. I checked around on Google, didn't find much more than the terminal commands to reset ACL, which also didn't work for me. Lastly, I called Apple. They told me to change the privileges of, uh, of my applications folder to everyone, uh, and and change that to read and write and to check apply to enclosed items on my applications folder, essentially making his applications folder readable and writable by anyone and also making the contents of his applications folder readable and writable by anyone Uh, that worked. But the issue is 
I am no longer prompted for my admin username and password when moving stuff into my applications folder. And I kind of like that. Also, seeing how this all just worked before when everything was read only, I'm concerned that the Apple reps answer was also kind of a workaround and that there might be an underlying issue that we're both missing. Any suggestions would be appreciated so that I can be prompted for admin user password again. Okay, so here's an interesting thing. When you repair user level permissions, that only impacts your user directory. So we would not expect that to impact applications um, because that's a system level folder. But we would, uh, on the surface anyway, expect repair permissions from disk utility to repair the permissions of the applications folder. And I believe that it does, but only of certain things in the applications folder and not of third party apps. So your applications folder, the permissions of it are kind of ignored by any of the maintenance tasks that you might do. Um, by having you do this uh, thing where you've, you highlight applications and, and then change the permissions and click that apply to uh, enclosed items checkbox, that homogenized the permissions of your applications folder. I'm curious what would have happened if you had uh, just checked, you know, left it as everyone read only and checked apply to enclosed items, because I think that would have pushed that change. I think you had some strange permissions happening inside the applications folder. Now it's possible that notebook and Onyx uh, do some strange permissioning things to their apps themselves that make it impossible for standard users to replace them. Uh, that that's also possible. Uh, and that unless you force them, you know, when you copy an app in, you're inheriting the permissions that, um, you know, remember an app is not just a file. An application is a folder that it, well, it's called a package, but really it's just a folder with a bunch of subfolders uh, it, marked in a special way so that it doesn't appear as a folder with subfolders. And so you're inheriting all the permissions that the developer has sent along with you. And if the developer, for whatever reason, needs to have funny permissions or uh, hasn't bothered to test it because they're building in an environment where they're running as administrators, you may not be able to consistently, you know, you may have to reapply these permissions over and over again on those apps if you want to be able to replace them that way. Um, and I, I think that I think that's actually probably the root of the problem is just the way these apps are distributed. Yeah, if you have any thoughts on this, John? Uh, I'm going to go with you on this because I, I don't do the user, uh, you know, standard user account thing. So, yeah, I think it could be a discrepancy between the two. Yeah. And uh, probably the best practice would be, yeah, to, to nuke the, uh, the old app first, manually throw it in the trash. Yeah. The or if they offer an installer, in most cases, the installer does that for you already. It, it, it'll, you know, toss up in the trash and then put it in place so you're not replacing something that's already there because yeah I, I think i understand what you're saying as far as why that could bring up these errors if there's a difference in the permissions between the old and the new or different items um I, I, i've never seen that particular error though i've run into this before uh, um with the the imac at the house the kids accounts I, I forget if that they're set up this way now but but certainly we have in the past had standard user accounts on that machine and when you go and try and do anything uh, editing the applications folder or even even on even on this machine here in the studio where uh, 
Lisa uses it for, you know, for one purpose and I use it for another. Even though we're both administrators, if she puts an app in the applications folder, I can't edit it without having to authenticate. So there's a, you know, there is some weirdness that happens there. And I've certainly seen it with the standard user accounts where you just can't touch it. Uh, even if you have authenticated and, and, and I think it's, I think it's on an app by app basis. Cause I, I remember for a while it was constantly happening with the same apps and I, and I just chalked it up to the way the developer was, was distributing it. Uh, I think, I think there's an assumption out there that, and it's because it's the way machines are set up as default, but there's an assumption out there from the developing community that, and, and I, I'm not saying I agree with this assumption, but it is, I think it exists most people are going to run administrator uh, privileged accounts. And so, you know, this, these issues wouldn't happen, but I agree that developers should test for all cases because that's better that way. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? All right, John, let's uh, let's see what Terry has to say. Terry writes, I'm looking for some help here. Uh, I'm worried that I have some sort of malware problem relating to a domain that every time I visit in Safari, it says Safari can't verify the identity of the website and list the website. And then below that says the certificate for this website is invalid. You might be connecting to a website that is pretending to be this, which could put your confidential information at risk. Would you like to connect to the website anyway? And there are three buttons, show certificate, cancel and continue. This started when visiting links originating in Facebook and now happens randomly from other sites. I'm running Safari 5.1.1 on an up-to-date Lion MacBook Air 13-inch. Several different Google searches fail to really nail this down, so I thought I'd turn to my favorite geeks for assistance with this mess. Do I or do I not have a malware infection on my MacBook Air with this turning up? For what it's worth, I've never been stupid enough, uh, Terry's words, to click the show certificate option. I typically hit cancel to close it out, and that's where I go. All right, John, go. I'm going. And you know where I'm going? <laughs> I think I do. Actually, no. You know what? If I've learned anything over the six and a half years that, that we've been doing this show, I never know where you're going to go with this stuff. And, and I like that. That's good. I think the listeners appreciate it, too. Well, all right. So number one, out of the three options here. So obviously cancel won't do anything bad. Continue. Yeah, I don't think I click on that. But I would not say that clicking on show certificate is something stupid. As a matter of fact, the thing is, you've already downloaded the certificate. So mm -hmm. show certificate is not introducing any risk at all. If anything, it's going to tell you what the problem is, because this error message kind of sucks in that it says the certificate's invalid. Well, what's invalid about it? And the thing is, this error, again, this is not a very good error message. Now, one thing is you could have clicked on the little question mark there. That may have gone into a little bit more detail by bringing up a help file. Um, but the thing is you can also bring up, I believe the same window. So say, let's go to a, a, a website here and I'm doing one right now here. I'm going to HTTPS, uh, www.google.com. Yes, they have a secure version. If you're afraid that somebody's going to be monitoring your Google searches, you can go to that. No, they have a nice little, little doodle today. Look at that. That's you go over there. Yeah. So, okay. But if you go in the upper right-hand corner of Safari, you're going to see a little lock. If you go to a, a secure page, that's also going to display to you the certificate. Okay? That's right. 
Now, and when I look show at the one for Google, it, it there's a little green checkbox below it, and and, to, and next to it says this certificate's valid, right? Now, I don't know because I tried going to the site that he gave us, and I did not get a warning. So, uh, could be a number of things. So, one, it could have been a temporary configuration snafu. And the thing is, if he had clicked on show certificate, then instead of seeing the happy little green check mark that says this certificate is valid, it would have told you why it didn't like it. Now, there are a number of reasons that the browser may not like the certificate. And uh, I've seen some and you've seen some, Dave. I'll tell you some of the things that I've seen. So one, every certificate has a lifespan. And if the expiration date has been passed, that could be a reason that you will see this error. Mm-hmm. I'll um, buy that. Un- okay, so if you click, it should you, you should be able to look at the expiration date. And and I, I've seen this happen. You know, people forget to send in their money or to install a new certificate, and the browser gets upset. In that case, you can continue. Uh, I would say, in that case, as long as everything else is in order, you can safely continue. It's just that somebody forgot to pay their certificate renewal fee. Um. Then there are some others. Now, there's another one that I think is is the second most common, and that's where the domain assigned to the... So the certificate has built into it, without going into a lot of detail, but it has built into it the name of the site that it should be servicing. And here's another error. If the the domain that the site belongs to, like in this case, this certificate I'm looking at, has stamped into it www.google.com. And I'm going to www.google.com. So the browser says, that's cool. The certificate domain and the, the, the website you're going to match. Now, there are cases where someone may have, uh, and, and the domain he sent us looks really weird. And there was another thing is that when I clicked on it, it actually redirected to another one. And that what he gave was, when I clicked on it, it eventually went to another uh, URL. And I'm wondering if that was the cause of this. Well, I, I'll... um. I'll go, I'll take us in a slightly different direction. So the domain that, that he uh, sent us here is S dash static dot a K dot F B C D N dot net. And the last bit of that F B C D N dot net is a top level domain, just like google.com or MacObserver.com or anything else. And there is a way to find out who owns that or potentially find out who owns that. Now he said that this was coming from links originating from Facebook. So I did a who is uh, go to the terminal type who is all one word W H O I S space. And then I did F B C Frank Bravo, Charlie Delta, November dot net and hit return. And what comes up, but the registrant is Facebook Inc. What this must be is, you know, Facebook must have a redirect engine or something like that. And it is secure. And so they've got this certificate on this engine so that when you're clicking a link that brings you outside, you're going through a secure path and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but clearly their certificate, at least for Terry, was was munged up for, you know, several days or, or perhaps longer. And uh, but but, you know, that that tells me that this isn't some foul play and someone, you know, malware or anything. It's, you know, it's, it's a certificate coming from, or at least trying to come from a domain that Facebook owns and, uh, and, you know, hope, and, and he was clicking from Facebook. So that's, you know, there's a reasonable expectation that that would correlate. Right. Now the third reason this may come up. Yavo. 
I'm just full of it today. Go. No, it's good. <laughs> so, well, here's the other reason. So uh, you may be asking yourself, and I'm going to tell you, but the thing is certificates, um, they're like a lot of things with cryptography, there are two parts to this. And so one part is there's going to be a certificate on the server that you then download. And then the other half of the equation is that there are a bunch of certificates that are on your computer. And I'm going to tell you where you're, you're going to find them. You're going to find them in keychain access. So isn't that kind of a weird place? Well, not really. <laughs> you got to put it somewhere. <laughs> you got to put it somewhere. So basically, if you go to keychain access, which I believe is in your utilities folder, and you look on the left-hand side of the interface, and I'm looking on Snow Leopard, I assume it's, it's similar in Lion, um, you're going to see uh, on the left-hand side category. And at the very bottom is going to be a category called certificates. And these are all the certificates that have been submitted to Apple from the various people that issue certificates. And they're included here uh, to check against um, the websites. And you'll notice that w when you bring up the, the window in Safari, when you click on the little lock, you're going to see the issue of the certificate. That's also going to be somewhere buried in this list of uh, like here, I see 182 of them. But you should be able to find the one uh, for the person that, uh, that issued it. Now, here's the thing you may have now, now, sometimes this list gets updated and sometimes these expire. So that could be another reason is that if, if the one that's on your computer is expired um, and I see a list right here in the list is expiration dates and, and most of these are way in the future. But it's possible that whoever issued the certificate on the site, their, their cert is, that you have is expired. Now, the other thing is if you double click on a certificate in the certificates category, you're going to see certain details for it. And one of them is called trust. And depending on how your system is set up now, you may at some point, now there have been some scandals as far as some people compromising some of these CA. So you may have at some point gone into here and changed the, the, the behavior. If one of these certificates is the one that, that uh, is the issuer of the web to the website you're going to. I'm looking here and I see it says, you know, when using this certificate, use system defaults. Now you could also, which I think the default is trust it. Now, for whatever reason, you, you may have set this to never trust or always trust our, our manual values. You can set it to. And of course, if you set it to never trust, then you're going to get an alert like this. But again, you're going to have to look at the show certificate dialogue in order to see exactly why it is unhappy. So it could say, and I don't know the exact wording, but it could say, you know, untrusted root authority or something like that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think a good way when you see something like this, don't be, be afraid of the okay button at first until you understand more, but the show certificate button is not evil. In fact, it's almost like a more details button in that it's going right. to show you what's going on. Yeah. Right. Not that you're not downloading any additional data. It's already been downloaded. Right. And, and I would say when you look in the details section, or actually the top level. So the top level, it shows who issued that certificate. That may be where you want to start here. So for example, Google here, I click on the first one. It says class three public primary certificate authority. And it says, oh, US VeriSign. Okay, I've heard of VeriSign. That's cool. That's cool. All right. And it'll give you details about the company that issued this. And if it's a company whose name you recognize, you can Google it, then you, then you figure it's cool. And I would say for the most part, VeriSign is trustworthy. Then under that is Thwate, which is, you know, one that I've heard of before. Um... So again, go down the chain here in what shows at the top of the window and see if all of these guys 
makes sense. And you're going to see a chain, you know, it's going to be a top level, next level, and then down to eventually, in this case, www.google.com. So it's odd. Now, now the other thing is maybe your, 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 your keychain or the certificates in your keychain could be damaged. I'm not sure if a keychain first aid is going to fix that. That's a good question. I don't know if keychain for I, I don't hmm, I don't no, think I don't it think does. it fixes the search. Now, also, does. Apple has on occasion uh, issued updates yep. to the certificates here to, to update them, either updated the browser or has, has updated their certificates in this list. So so the best thing is, yeah, the, the fire up keychain access. Look at the certificates category. Just make sure that they all show up. OK, if they, if they don't, then you'll see typically a little red X through them. Cool. All right. Moving on. Paul has a question that probably impacts, well, not all listeners to premium, but uh, but it might impact a lot of you. Uh, Paul writes, this one's been driving me crazy and I can't seem to figure out how to do it. I bought Instacast and Paul does ask about Instacast, but this that we're about to talk about here works for is really relevant to anyone who's using any third party uh, iOS app to pull down the podcast feed and really any third party Mac app to pull down the, the premium feed, especially he says, I bought Instacast for the iPhone because I thought it would enable me to download premium episodes of Mac geek when I'm out and I can't sync with my Mac and it will, uh, but he couldn't do it. He says, no matter how hard I try, however, I can't seem to be able to do it. I've deleted the app twice out of frustration. I can download regular episodes. Okay. But I can't do it via the native music and iTunes apps on the phone. So that's real. No big, really no big help out of desperation. I've just downloaded it again from the cloud, but still no luck. I've tried searching and downloading URLs. I even tried to mind meld with the stupid app and send it smoke signals. (laughs) Still nothing. I went to the developer's website. There's no email link and I can't see to ask the developer question i've googled and i can't figure it out okay so it does work the the trick is you need to manually enter the url for the feed to the uh, premium podcast and you can get these urls right from macgeekgab.com if you visit macgeekgab.com that'll bring you to the section of mac observer reserved for macgeekgab and you'll see premium subscriber only feeds and there will be Well, there's actually three listed for this. You probably only care about the subscribe to MP3 feed. And there's two links for that iTunes or XML. You're going to want the XML link and you can either copy it or uh, just view it and then type it in. So uh, in Instacast, and this is where it differs slightly for each app, you, you need to, there's a way of telling Instacast, you go to add a show and then you click the little link button to tell it that you want to type in a link. And then you type in this link to our MP3 feed. Once you've typed in the link, the software will ask you to authenticate. At that point, you type in your username and your password for premium, the same one that you'd use in iTunes or on the website. And, uh, and then that's it. It'll, it it caches it and downloads the show and you're totally good to go. Uh, And I tested this. I hadn't used Instacast. I've used many others. I hadn't used Instacast before, but uh but it worked fine. I downloaded it and, and added the link. And, uh, and I think we'll probably even put an article up on the site just uh, so that you've got some screenshots if you folks want to go through that. But uh, but yes, it is possible. And it is the the something like Instacast uh, is the only way to download 
shows directly onto your iPhone that you can then use when you're not online. Stitcher actually makes it really easy, but of course you have to be online in order to stream with Stitcher. So if you, if you're going to be in a situation, you know, subway tunnels in an airplane or even driving in an area where, you know, cell service isn't great, or if you just don't want to use your 3g while you're out and about download this one over Wi-Fi, cache it to your phone and then, um, and then just listen from there. So, Instacast will do it. Downcast is another one. I'm trying to think of all the ones that I that I use here or that I've tested this year with John. So we got Instacast, Downcast, Pocket Casts, um, and Podcaster are the the four that I've tried and successfully used. But um, but that's how it works. So thanks for asking, Paul. It's always good reminder for all of us to uh, to know that this is possible and how to do it. All right, Roland. Roland writes, I've got an issue that arose after I updated or upgraded to Lion. Ever since purchasing my MacBook in 2008, I've used one of the stock images in OS X as my user icon. Once I upgraded to Lion, the user icon was now displayed on the login page when waking my Mac from sleep. Since I was going to see this icon more often, I changed it to something different. Now here's where it gets weird. The new icon will only remain for about five sleeps. Then the system changes it back to the icon I had used through Leopard and Snow Leopard, one of the default icons. I've changed the icon back more times than I care to count. I've observed that it's not always the same amount of sleeps when the icon changes back, and the bug reacts the same way to restarting as it does to sleeping. Any ideas about what might be going on? All right. So this is weird, John. This this seems to me, you know, I would categorize this in the, uh, you know, the auto reverting preferences uh, category here. So, you know, permissions are something that can cause a preference to revert. Uh, caches certainly are something that can cause a, 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 a preference to revert. And then also a damaged plist file, though, in this case, I don't think it's the damaged plist file thing simply because it's sticking to begin with. But maybe it could be, you know, it certainly could be. So um, so I I do permissions. I'd use Onyx to clean the caches. And then if that doesn't work, uh, you got to figure out what preference file it is that's updated. So you can use our uh, our super secret trick of 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 doing a, a search of recently updated stuff. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. There's an article we did at Mac Observer and MGG Jim helped us do. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I know what it is. You know, you know the oh, oh, you already figured it out. You already figured out what the p list is for for this particular issue. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So at least uh, on my system here, if you go to users and groups, yeah, and I click on my user, and then I see a picture of uh, my dashing self here. Yes, and I click on it, and it gives you an option to uh, to pick something uh, else. the picture associated, and uh, based on what I see in my preferences list here, uh, the last one that was updated it. 417, which, yeah, close enough. Uh, com.apple.loginwindow.plist. Maybe uh, yeah. the profile you want to you whack. That, that would be the one to nuke in this case, yeah. So did you use our, our super secret patented way of... Uh, it's yes, I did. Secret. Okay, good. Well, I opened the, the preferences folder. Oh, and yeah, I that clicked works. on date modified and uh, the one that bubbled to the top. That made the most sense. I also saw uh, Apple push service D. That's probably not it. Time machine. That's probably not it. Right. Well, there's another one called system configuration. That's that a folder. Um, well, that's a folder. Oh, hold on. And that has power oh, management that, P list. 
Yeah, that's why I that's why I do my super secret way. Well, like I said, we'll link to this this no, article that teaches you how to do it if you haven't already set up your Mac to to have one of these searches um, persistent. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. All right, uh, so check that. My guess is it's one of those one of those three things um, that's just not just getting in your way. And if it is a preferences file, like John said, just whack it, delete it, reboot. Uh, my my feeling anytime you delete a preference file like this is quit everything, delete the preference file and immediately reboot. Uh, that way you're not mm-hmm. getting stuck with anything uh, or you're limiting the chances of getting stuck with anything because things are constantly writing and reading, you know, all that good stuff. We love preferences, don't we? All right. Uh, choice is good. Choice is good. Speaking of choice, we have a choice as to what we're going to do next. Uh, you want to, you know what? Let's, um, we've had this question around, but I think it's, uh, I think it's relevant here. Terry wrote a little while back. Uh, I've heard that emptying the home library caches folder can be helpful for sluggish machines. May I empty the system library caches folder as well without too much hesitation? The aim is to improve performance. Does the OS matter? So, in theory, you're safe deleting anything in the caches folders that are managed by the OS. And the two you mentioned, the one in the user folder and the one at the top of the system and, you know, top library caches, uh, certainly fit that description. Again, just like with the last question, quit all your apps first, empty the caches, and then reboot immediately. Uh, Even safer is to use something like Onyx to clean these caches out because, They've actually tested this stuff and, and, and to be fair, they're not going to make any, any mistakes that us stupid users might make. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think those two folders are safe. Yeah, John. On the one hand, I would say in theory, anything that is in a cache folder. Yep. If a good piece of software, if it doesn't see something in a cache, then it should either recreate it or deal with the fact that it's not there and do it the slow way. Right. But, uh, you know, depending on if somebody took a shortcut, they may freak out if they don't see a cache file that they thought should be there. So, so I would agree in principle that the, that a good piece of software should not care that a cache is gone. If anything, it should recreate it. Or like I said, do it a different way. Yep. And maybe rebuild it in the background for the next time. So, yeah. um, but, but I'm with you is that I, uh, you know, poking around at that level gets the, I mean, I've done it. I think you've done it, Dave. Oh, I, I yeah. Just, just for yucks, I've gone in that folder and whacked everything and then rebooted. Absolutely. Yeah. So immediately reboot because, you know, as soon as you get rid of some of them, there may be, uh, the system may probably start rebuilding some of them immediately. It's like, oh my gosh, they're gone. Right. Depending on what's happening. So, uh. So yeah, as soon as possible. Of course, Onyx reinforces that. I think as soon as it clears any cache, it's like, um, yeah, reboot. Time. Let's go reboot. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, let's um, let's go to Peer here. Peer. Peer here. Peer here. Really? Uh, in show 366, we uh, were talking about printing emails. And actually, we talked about it, I think, in, in show 365, too. But, but anyway, uh, Peer had a fantastic tip for this so and one that i had not heard of before he says the easiest approach to printing a ton of emails is to select them all hit forward and magically they are composed as one huge long forwarded email and you can even way yep and you can even take it one step further so you highlight your things 
You do your forward. Now they're all forwarded. So they have the little bar along the left, but you could do a select all in the body of the message, go to format and then in quote level, go to decrease that will drop it one. If you're forwarding a forwarded message, it's still going to have all of its uh, all of its quote levels, but you're just decreasing it one level so that each message is not starting off as being forwarded. What do you think about that? How do you like them apples? This is a great tip. Thank you, Pierre. I like apples. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's good. I do. Granny Smith and um, what's the other one I found? But Granny Smiths are good. I, I like those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who would have thought that that's bizarre, but I guess I it, you, you would kind of expect that. Why right. Why would you not wish them all together? Right. Good call. Right. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, should we jump, jump around other, here or is it time to go to cool there? stuff found? I think it's time to go to well, cool stuff. That found. other tip is a quick tip. All right. Yeah. That's a, it's a good tip. That's right. So, uh, this is another old oldie, but a goodie and, and, and old by oldie. I don't mean that we're rehashing anything. I just mean something that we've had in the queue for a while. Uh, Marion writes, uh, in a, a show semi recently, you mentioned that you cannot use the lion safari download window, uh, to download video or other files using its activity window by just double clicking on the specific link in the window. To be honest, I didn't know that it was possible to double click to download before, as I always used to mark the link, copy it to the clipboard and paste it into the Safari downloads window. This has always worked for me and is still possible to do that under Lion. The way it works is this. Go into Safari, load the web page, then open the activity window in Safari. Find highlight and copy the link, then click on the downloads pop-up in the toolbar and click paste. There's nothing obvious that you're pasting into, but as soon as you click paste, the download starts and it saves it to your downloads folder. This is great for anything. If you've got an image, well, images are fairly easy to just drag out, but, uh, but media files, MP3s, if you ever, if you ever get a link to an MP3 and you just want to download it, have you ever had that where somebody sends you a link to an audio file and you just want to download it. You can't. You can load it in your browser, but it's just going to show it there. And there's no obvious way to, to download it. Well, you can. You just go in. You open the downloads window and you click paste and it works magically. And uh, and so that's the. And, uh, well, I'll add to this tip, Dave. All right. Yeah, go. Well, this is something that involves a finger wag. So okay. they change the behavior in Safari. I think it's Safari Five. And they changed it in Lion is what they did. Are you talking or about Lion. the floating downloads window BS that they put together for us there? Well, well no, no, not, not so much that, but oh, the activity window. in a minute. Yeah, go ahead. No, but the activity window, I thought it was a change in the version of Safari where they, they changed it. But up until a certain point, so I'd gotten used to this. So a lot of times, like YouTube and other sites, you'll go to, to their page and you'll see a video. And they typically don't make it easy for you. Now you can use a Safari extension or, but, but they typically don't offer an option to, to download the video. Right. Well, this is where the activity window where in, in prior versions of Safari, right. This was my best friend because well, I it was, it was your rant about this in, in a show back in September that triggered this email from Marion, right? Okay. So, so the way, the, the way that it used to work was you would double click on the item and typically you could tell if it was a flash video file because it would, and in .flv, and right. if you looked on the right-hand column, you would typically see something on the order of megabytes, whereas most of the other things that constitute a page are in the, the kilobytes or, or sure. bytes. 
Um, but then they changed it because all of a sudden I tried this and, and it's like, it doesn't work anymore. Well, right. now you got to hold down the option or alt key. Right. And then you'll see the video downloading and it'll download you as an FLV file in your downloads folder. So just to offer that other way of doing it, that that's kind of sneaky for people that don't want to make it easy for you to, to yank the content. Because I mean, basically if you can see it or hear it, it's in the activity window somewhere. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, this is good stuff. So thank you, Marion, uh, because pasting into the downloads window, I never would have thought to do that. And it does. It, it, it just works. It's great. It's awesome. It, I used to, have, I've probably bought software. In fact, I know I've bought software to do this in the past um, because I didn't realize you could just do it in Safari. So thank you, Marion. That's good. All right. Uh, so now we're sort of in the uh, we're, we're floating into the cool stuff found range. So we'll just mm. uh, we'll stay there and uh, we'll go to a couple of these. Where am I here? I thought I was. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking the wrong way. Uh, Luciano writes. He says uh, you had a guy who wrote in who wanted an application that would relaunch failed programs. And he, indeed, he found something called application wizard. Uh, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes, of course, but application wizard will do this. In fact, you can uh, tell it, you can put in apps and folders and files and just tell them to open automatically and away it goes. So thank you very much, Luciano. That's uh, that's a beautiful thing. Paul, Paul actually has two. I think it's the same Paul, right? No, it's not the same Paul. So we have two different Pauls with two different uh, tips. Paul number one uh, says, I, th I thought I'd pass this along. Bean, B-E-A-N, uh, available at bean-osx.com, is a simple and free program like text edit, only better, and it's free. Uh, I believe it's free. Did I get that wrong? I thought it was free. Maybe it's not. Uh, I'm looking here, John. I can't find any way to buy, but I can download. So I'm going to assume it's free. There's nothing here. Yeah, it says for, right. I, if I only I had looked being a free word processor for OS 10. Uh, yeah, this is cool. Check out the screenshots of this or, or just download it and, and play with it. It's uh, very powerful stuff. Awesome. Beautiful thing. So thank you, Paul. That's uh, indeed cool stuff found. And then uh, Paul number two writes, I found a great tip at OSX Daily about using the terminal to make a change to the system that then allows you to highlight and copy text from a quick look window. So what he's talking about is if you get an email attachment or you're in the finder and you hit the space bar, you can get that little quick look window up. Well, normally that window just sits there and you can't manipulate the text or even select the text in it. But there is a secret little incantation you can type into the terminal or even more easily just go to this website, highlight and then paste into your terminal and it will make all of the text inside these quick look windows selectable. So you can go in with your mouse, highlight, choose copy and then paste it out to wherever you want. So we will wait. I'm not going to read the, the whole thing because nobody's going to listen to it anyway. But um but we'll put a link to this OSX daily article because uh, that's cool. I did it immediately on, on the Macs I, I use because I think that's handy. Did you check this one out too, John? No. Well, you should. It's good stuff. And it's, uh, it's, it's OS 10. Okay. That works. It's fine. Well, you could say OSX if you want. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, yeah. You know, when reading URLs, I try not to get 
cute with uh, with mixing Roman numerals and, and all that stuff. But, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, okay. And then uh, Gary found something very interesting. Uh, he said, uh, I found an alternative for running Windows on your Mac, and it's a program called Win On. Well, as Mr. Braun would like to have me say, 10. But the uh, the URL is W-I-N-O-N-X dot com. This is an app that's available in the App Store for five bucks. And uh, you don't need a copy of Windows. Uh, only certain apps work. And uh, so what what this does, this is a lot like um, Code Weaver's crossover uh, yeah, but, and I, and I, I haven't played with it enough to know, you know, what the differences are, but it's certainly cheaper than code weavers crossover. I mean, it's five bucks, uh, go to the website. They have, um, some descriptions about how it works. It does use this thing called wine, uh, which is the same thing that code weavers crossover oh, uses. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's built on that. And, uh, and there's certain things you can run and, and certain things you can't, they say that it runs about 70% of windows apps and the older, the better kind of thing. Uh, unfortunately quicken 2012 is one that it does not yet run, but they're working on compatibility there. So, uh, so check it out. Yeah. Win on O X O <laughs> win on X is what it is. But, uh, but for five bucks, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty easy thing. If you, if there's one little windows app that you need to run, it's nice. Cause you don't have to run a copy of windows. So there's no viruses. There's no booting. There's no, I mean, it's, it's virtualizing in a sense, but, um, but you know, you're not dealing with managing a copy of windows, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work for you, try out, uh, code weavers crossover because, uh, Th- those they actually have a big team of people that that support this software and and um, and have had good luck getting things working that don't tend to work on standard wine installs, which is what I'm guessing this is. I mean, for five bucks, my guess is the guy's just written a wrapper around uh, around wine and and put it out there, which is great. I mean, it you know that's that's the beauty of the app store. Mm-hmm. So we like Win on X. You got anything else to talk about here, John? Before we uh, before we before we move on. With our, uh, I was going to call it Winox. Win, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> wouldn't it be win on win on win on, win on, win on, win on ten. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Touche. Good. Thank you. Uh. Um. So uh, you know, I, I wanted to mention. Actually, I meant to mention it in the last show uh, that our hotel deal for Macworld Expo is now sold out or at least waitlisted. You will get on a waitlist. I was told as of about an hour ago, there are 20 people on the waitlist for Wednesday and Thursday night at Macworld. So uh, it's certainly possible that, that rooms cancel. You know how hotel rooms are. People can book them for free. So, so you know, uh, I think they do expect significant numbers of cancellations, but, uh, but a lot of times those won't happen until right about a week before. So... You might want to make alternative arrangements if you haven't already locked in. If you've already locked in, you're good to go and you'll get your upgraded room and all of that good stuff. Speaking of Macworld Expo, uh, we are doing Cirque de Mac again this year. And uh, while all of the sponsors have not yet been locked in, we do have five locked in. Uh, And those sponsors are Smile, Project Wizards, Zeobit, the makers of Mac Keeper, Dolly Drive, 
And Boink Software uh, just came on uh, today. So uh, just finally locked in today, I should say. So we're really happy to have uh, have these sponsors on board. They're the ones wow. that, that make it possible for us to do this party at the scale that we now have to do it. And uh, and it's awesome. So thank you to each and every one of, of you out there. And, uh, and of course... If you're going to Macworld Expo, you folks are premium subscribers, so uh, so make sure you let us know. We'll uh, we'll see what we can do about uh, getting you some tickets. You know how that yeah. works. It's going to be Friday, right? It is. That's right. Yes, the party. Cirque Good. de Mac is on Friday night this year, not Thursday night. Um, and, and that's because there's a big uh, rock show happening with Modest Mouse uh, on Thursday night as part of Macworld Expo. So. Oh, Oh yeah, 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 I saw that. Yeah, this mouse, wherever they are. I yeah, I don't. Uh, I I've heard of them. I, I, I who knows? You know how it goes. Whatever. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, What's at the end here? Well, how to contact us? Well, yeah. you you probably know this, but if you don't, I would send an email to premium at macgeekapp.com, Dave. That is premium at macgeekapp.com. And I'm going to echo what you said, which is premium. Premium. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. If you said echo, hang on. Let's. Uh, uh, let, let I got see. one, too. Oh, I got buttons on my soundboard. You're oh not going to let me use it. Uh, let's see. Can we get an echo going here? Check. Check. Ah, it's not loud enough. Premium at MacGeekUp.com. All right, you're back in business, John. I'm going to play with these buttons one day on my board here. I haven't haven't yet, but... Um, I'm sure you So are. that's one way. Another way is to pick up the telephone and dial 206-666-4335. Which is geek for those of you playing along at home. Oh, right, right. Um, you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash MacGeekCab. What else can they do, John? They can find us on Twitter. You mentioned Twitter before. Oh yeah, Every, everybody's on. Uh, no, I'm on Twitter. You're on Twitter. That's I am right. there as John Efron. He is there as Dave Hamilton. The podcast is Matt Geekab. Pilot Pete, who is piloting something somewhere, is Pilot Pete and Mac Observer, where you can get all sorts of great information. Is Mac Observer? It just couldn't be easier. Um, iTunes comments. We love the iTunes comments. And and really, and I mean this, we love all of you. Uh, supporting us with your premium membership is is something that is not uh, taken lightly by John and I. We really do appreciate it. We appreciate every one of them that uh, when we see your subscriptions come in, and we really it, it's something special uh, that we're doing here. And we really appreciate what uh, what you do to support us. Sometimes, Dave, it's the only thing that that gets me to wake up in the morning. <laughs> And go through the day. That's right. So there's your warm, fuzzy feeling right there to wake up, <laughs> Mr. Braun. So, that's right. We'll make sure to get you his home number. You can you can call him at like 3 a.m. and wake him up, too. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, we'd also like to thank Michael Johnston of the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts this and pretty much every other Mac Geekab episode to AAC and adds all those cool chapters in and all that stuff. And, of course, the folks at Cashfly that uh, host us and provide all the bandwidth to get this from us to you. I think that does it, John. We are done for the week. We will be back on Monday with MacGeekM369. And uh, and we'll go from there. Niner? Niner? I don't know where that came from. That's aviation speak, right? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, yeah something like that. 
I mean, I was talking the NATO phonetic alphabet before. I said Frank instead of Foxtrot, but, you know, nobody, uh, nobody noticed, or at least I hope that I didn't get 